You're listening to the Missionary Perspective Podcast with veteran missionaries Eric Johnson and Joshua Mead. We're glad you could join us. We trust this podcast will be both a blessing and a challenge as we relate topics in world evangelism from a missionary perspective. Now, here's Josh and Eric. We've been talking about, you know, obviously family and ministry and balancing that out. And I want to start with a question for you, Eric. How, with with your family, as your children are getting older, have you sat down with any of them and began to discuss you know, asking them, what, what do you want to do with your life? What, what interests you? Do you, do you know what you want to pursue and what part of, you know, your discussions with your kids, especially the older ones about preparing for an occupation or, or a calling, is there any, and I know you don't do this, but do you discuss becoming a missionary going into ministry? Obviously I know you don't pressure your kids that, Oh, you have to go into ministry, but I know some pastors do. Is there anything you do in that discussion, if you've had those discussions, to let your kids know proactively that you're not pushing them to follow in dad's footsteps just because it's what dad and mom do, but pursuing the will of God? How do you handle that? Or has that come up? Well, I would say um, the first thing is what you said, which is really not to put the pressure on them, not necessarily planting seeds. Um, now I do, I do, I do try to, and Holly, especially, I think like when I was a kid, I don't think my parents put any kind of pressure on me whatsoever to be anything other than what the Lord wanted me to be. And I think that's really the emphasis is uh, having a spiritual heart and being willing to do whatever God wants you to do. And then one of the things we try to do, I think maybe in a way to encourage them how to accomplish that is to look at our own examples, Holly and I. You know, Holly at a younger age than I was, when she was, I believe, 16, really felt the Lord's calling specifically into missions through, uh, I think it was a Wycliffe or a New Tribes video she saw about Bible translators, and it really impressed upon her heart the great need around the world. And so from that time on, she was really using her time to prepare herself for the possibility that God would have her go to missions. And even though I worked in the secular job for a while, in computers and uh, engineering, um, I really was just open to what the Lord had me to do. So when I went on missions trips, uh, very soon after that, the Lord started directing me. So I think that's the kind of the emphasis for us is have a spiritual heart, being willing to do what you ever want the Lord wants you to do, but also preparing yourself uh, mentally and physically and spiritually as well. And so, um, but as the kids, you know, we really try to see their interests and develop them. Uh, our kids are, uh, they, they love school, they love learning, they love history. So when we're back in the States or even here, we try to learn about uh, history and take them to museums and uh, famous historical sites, especially in America the same way. Uh, we try to develop their you know, artistic sides um, and really plant seeds that, hey, you could be a teacher, you could be a, a artist, you could be a missionary, you love languages, they love languages. And so it's kind of not pushing one ahead of the other, but not, not, not letting them also realize, forget and realize that, hey, they have had a lot of advantages growing up on an international um, country, traveling internationally, uh, and just letting them know the advantages they had where the, really the sky's the limit as long as they just follow the Lord's uh, direction. Yeah, definitely taking advantage of the international life is something that uh, you can proactively do. 
with your kids. There's so much that they're learning living overseas. I really appreciated the uh, conversation that you had with uh, Brother Lonnie there. I'm actually going to try to order his book and read it. And uh, I encourage anybody mm-hmm. else to, I think, what what was the Absolutely. title of the book? It was um, from, um, from Raising Render- Your Hand to Boots on the Ground. Boots on the Ground, yeah. The mission, the call. And so uh, mm-hmm. I would encourage anybody to check that out. I think it's on Amazon and uh, you can check out his website. But it was a great conversation. I really appreciated his perspective about growing up on the mission field and how uh, they took advantages of uh, the opportunities that were afforded by living on the mission field. Don't, don't block your kids in now, we, you know, into just the home, let them get out, out there and, and try things. And one thing that's neat, we haven't really applied this yet. Our kids are just now reaching an age, our oldest, especially where this is something we will be able to do. Uh, but the missionaries who were before us, when their kids reached their teen years, they would often let them connect with somebody in a pursuit of something they enjoyed. So one of the missionaries here, his daughter enjoyed uh, medical and nursing, and she was interested in all of that. And so they connected with one of the hospitals where one of their kids were born. And uh, as a teenager, their daughter just kind of went and did an unofficial internship. And she learned all the ins and outs as a teenager. And, you know, there's less less rules, fewer rules and regulations when you're living in certain countries. And so you can afford that. And in countries like Senegal, brain surgery. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. In countries like Senegal, where we're at, um, there's not a big emphasis. There is a big emphasis on, um, on mentoring and on um, apprenticeship is the word I'm looking for. Uh, You'll Mm -hmm. meet kids as young as seven, eight years old that are taken out of school and they're put into the apprenticeship of you know, a, a job, whether it's sewing or plumbing. I had a kid come, I ordered, I, I called my plumber and it was just a minor repair, but this kid shows up like a 10 year old kid. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm here to repair, you know, what you asked to repair. And so, and he did a good job. He got it done, but he'd been working as an apprentice there for a while. So it's a kind of an old school, you know, system. We don't really do that as much in the States, but, um, yeah, try to take advantage of those things. If you're a missionary living on the field, you know, take advantage of the, what your country has to offer and for your kids to get a wide range of experience. Um, and that's what we try to do as well with our kids. You know, I think that's, it's assumed most parents, they're not going to pressure their kids to go into the family business of being a missionary. You've got to know that you're called of God to do that. Um and yeah, you, you know, you pray that God will get a hold of your children's heart, that he'll lead them and guide them in making right decisions. And uh, I just had a conversation with my oldest, Tristan, and I said, hey, now that Canada may be opening up and uh, these truckers are kind of pushing again, hopefully the pressure is enough to where politicians will alleviate some of the restrictions and mandates that they're trying to push. I said, if Canada opens up more, maybe you'll consider moving there because our kids are dual citizen, American and Canadian. And uh, he said, no, I think I'm just going to live here. I said, live here in Senegal? (laughs) He said, yeah, this is my home. Like, I'll go back and visit, he Uh, said. I said, well, what are you going to do? Are you going (laughs) to... Like you're gonna live here as a missionary? He said, "I'll oh, just I'll do odd jobs and make money." I said, "Okay." So, <laughs> anyways, um, you know, I was great. It was neat to see. You know, that is, he he, you know, feels this is home, which it is. We've been here 
you know, over 12 years and he's 12 years old. Yeah. And so, um, those oh, things are important, but yep. Well, good. Yeah. Well, it's been a, it's been a really good month of just, I've been meditating a lot on family life and ministry life and balancing the two. Um, in fact, today we're going out to the beach a little bit later after we do this podcast, then we're going to go, uh, we, we, shipped over these, uh, blow up kayaks and, a um, oh, great. Oh, what do you call it? It's not a surfboard, but it's a, a waterboard. Like oh, you waterboarding. Like a water. No, it's one you stand on the, and you can, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. whatever that's, that's called. We brought one of those back and they're, they're inflatable and I didn't know how good a quality they would be, but they're, they're very well made. They're, uh, yeah. So we're going to go out, do a little bit of that, that this afternoon and uh, we've been kind of busy in ministry here. And so what, what is, I wanted to ask you this, maybe give me a, a week of in, in the life of the Johnson family, what's a week look like with, and I know in missions, there's not always a regular routine. So either a week or maybe two weeks, what does a, a routine look like in the Johnson family, how you balance, uh, you know, tangibly, you know, family life and ministry. We talked the last time, remember about mm -hmm. you implicate your kids into the ministry. So mm -hmm. what's that look like a little more in detail, maybe share a little bit about a schedule and how you, you know, purposely try to balance those. Yeah. I'm laughing because my wife's leaving the room here. Cause you know, we, we try very hard to have routines, but uh, to say there's a routine week, but, but, you know, I, Thankfully, this is one of those things that now I'm not going to say post COVID, but at Lord willing, as we're getting towards the end of it, uh, changed a lot uh, when COVID happened, obviously, in some regards. But I would say our routine week is, you know, wake up, get the kids rolling on school. They have, uh, you know, their school homeschools on DVDs and they watch those and they go through that. While during the week, I'm spending a lot of time, whether it's in mission uh, sermon prep or you know, discipleship or meetings with people, uh, or sometimes during the week, now we've started now, it's kind of like a Bible Institute at night on Tuesday nights, but really it's men's meeting, but we're trying to train a couple of guys specific for the ministry. Um, Zach's got baseball practice. The kids have their neighbors, which they're very excited after three years of, of inviting them to church. They're coming to church. So good. You know, life just kind of, you know, you do the things, you know, which are like school and meals and things like that. And then you implement me being in and out of the house. Um, but really, it's it's not as abnormal as you might think. A normal family, maybe back home, that has homeschooling children, that maybe a, a pastor who's in and out uh, making visits. Uh, but as far as the kids are concerned, we have tried, even with our furloughs in the last number of years, um, to stay on the routines that best suit them as far as their school patterns, because over the years, Josh, and I'm sure you've seen this too, so many emergencies come up in the lives of missionaries that change their, their lives completely, where mm. they have to come home for a certain amount of time or this big thing happens. And so we've been blessed that until some things like that happen in our lives, we've kind of dedicated ourselves to keeping the kids on the best school rotation they can. And when we go home furloughs, it's for six weeks to maybe two months, depending on that it is. And sometimes mm -hmm. we can pull school that easily and really be found, I think, for their development that just knowing, hey, you know, in September, October, 
November, December, I'm going to be doing school. I'm going to have a break. Sometimes we go to the States, sometimes we don't. But back in January, February, and just keep them on kind of the same kind of routine that would be in the States the best we can has really, I think, helped them, them develop into um, what their friends maybe back home would be like. So that when they transition, I don't think that their, their life is going to be dramatically different um, into a school pattern. Now, obviously, living overseas and learning different languages and being able to travel internationally. But I feel like we've done our best to really just have a good old American family living in the Dominican, uh, growing up as a third culture kid. (laughs) (laughs) How do you, when your kids go back to the States, I guess now you, you do it regularly. So it's probably not like a new experience, but when, you know, as your kids were getting older, maybe even your firstborn, that first going back to the States, what were some of their responses, reactions? Uh, I'll share a story about our youngest, but um, did you pick up on any of that when they were younger and now how did you address it? If you could think of any, I have a story I want to share. But Yeah, I, I think it's funny. I remember in Costa Rica, Costa Rica specifically, and then in Dominican too, when you have little babies, people who are complete strangers to you, and I don't think it's just because we're Americans. I think any baby, they tend to really, they'll come up close to them. They'll sometimes touch them. They'll say, God bless you. And, and then they're just very interactive with new uh, new babies and mothers. And we had to get used to that. But then we got so used to it. It was funny that when we came back to the States with new babies, you know, people didn't pay any mind. I remember <laughs> our kids be like, you know, these people aren't paying me any mind. You know, I, I'm a little baby. You should be, uh, you know, saying something nice. To me. So I remember that being kind of a funny thing. And then I think also for our kids, you know, especially early on, Ashley and Zach, they were these little Rubios. They were very blonde, blue eyed, you know, and they really stuck out. People, you know, love to come talk to them, give them attention. And man, when we got to America, I mean, they just were just any old buddy. And I think they were just like, wow, we're really just blending in here. I think in some ways they love it. In some ways it was an adjustment for them. So I think that I, I think our kids love going home to the States and seeing their cousins and doing fun things. But, you know, every time, Josh, Holly and I have this worry, because when we go back, we try to do a lot of fun things and things they don't normally get to do here. We always have this fear that when we get back here to the Dominican, that it's going to be kind of a letdown. You know, they're going to be like, oh, man, I miss this. I miss that. But without a doubt, when we get into the house, you know, 12 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock after our flight, the kids are running into their rooms, getting their old toys. And usually inevitably, one of the first phrases we hear, oh, I miss our house. I miss living here. And that always gives us a, a good warm feeling. And I think that that there's stability there, right? Your your regular routine is in the country where you're serving. But a lot of that has to do with the parents' attitude toward living in the country where they're called to serve, uh, whether it's the wife or the husband. It's important that you're not always longing to make those visits to the States. And you're not always, oh, I wish we were in the States. And and we try to avoid even, we don't even do it anymore because there's fewer and fewer things that we miss about the United States or Canada. Um, plus we have, we've developed a lot more in Senegal. When we first arrived here, there was only like two or three restaurants worth going to. There were no supermarkets. And so it's developed a lot mm-hmm. since then. Yeah. And there's a lot more available, but that's one of the things is we just, you know, you you keep a spirit about this is home and we love it here and we love serving here. And when your kids understand that and they understand here's where our home is and our routine is, um, you know, there can be things you miss, but 
it's uh, it's not that big a deal in the end. One thing I thought our first term I really missed was just a Big Mac from McDonald's. And then we get back after mm. eating. We get back after our first term here in Senegal of eating fresh food every day. We go back, I get a Big Mac and it was the biggest disappointment mm-hmm. in my life. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't even eat fast food anymore because it's not even, it, it doesn't even taste good anymore because we get spoiled by really good food here. So you were talking about kids being center of attention. You know, that's one thing that, and there's two things that we, we've had to um, try to address because I, I want to talk about it and I want to see if you've experienced this with your kids, but you were talking about being the center of attention. We went back and put Tristan in school, one of our furloughs. It was the first time he had attended a, a Christian school out of our home church. And he came home after a few weeks of attending and he was really frustrated. And he explained to us in his you know limited vocabulary that nobody will do what I want. And we said, what are you talking about? What do you, what do you mean nobody's doing what you want? He said, no, like... I tell everybody what I want to do on the playground and nobody will do is listening to me. Like they won't do what I want. And we're thinking, and I said, Tristan, nobody has to do what you want. Like, what, what are you talking about? And as we were thinking about it, it hit us that he's the two Bob, he's the white kid in Senegal and everybody does whatever he wants, you know? And so uh, we had to try to break that out of him. And that's the thing we've noticed too. And I was wondering if you, deal with this at all or how you address it a lot of times when you're back in the states you do get spoiled uh Mm -hmm. more than what we deserve right uh Mm -hmm. you go to churches Mm -hmm. and churches rightly so they want to elevate missionaries and and try to make you know show that this is an honorable and worthy uh pursuit and calling in life and and we want people to feel led into missions and and to surrender to being missionaries if the Lord would lead them. But that a lot that goes along with that at missions conferences and visiting churches, you really get spoiled way more than what we deserve. And especially our kids, you know, we'll go to churches and uh, there's always a gift that somebody has for them or gift cards or, or things like that. And we're always so appreciative. And we notice though, like our kids began to expect it. And, um, We've had we we early on started dealing with that by every time we arrive to a church, we make sure we begin by with a family meeting. We we address it. We say, look, we're here to serve this church and they're partners with us in Senegal. And we are humbled and honored to be here at this church, guys. And and I want to make sure you guys just say thank you to everybody and and say hi to everybody. And and we're we don't expect anything. They, they faithfully support our ministry. And so anything that anybody does for you, make sure you say thank you because we don't deserve it. And uh, this is this is nothing that we expect. So we try to proactively deal with that. Because last thing I want, and I've seen missionaries mm-hmm. like this, and I've certainly seen missionary kids like this, where there's a sense of entitlement developed when you're stateside. Have you seen that? Have you had to deal with that in your own family? Yeah, people, as you know, and, and I think maybe this is a, a pendulum switch from, you know, 50 years ago when um, maybe lots of churches weren't as, what's the word, generous to missionaries. 
that uh, the last 20 years, we've certainly seen the byproduct of the swing of the pendulum where they are amazingly generous. It's very rare to go to a church where you don't find great generosity um, from churches. And so, yes, I think with our kids, it's interesting you say that because because sometimes we come home in the summer, as I mentioned, for the kids, they're on summer break, and that's when we come home and report to churches sometimes five, six weeks, just works out better. They're so generous sometimes. And, you know, some, I remember, you know, some guy giving each kid like $50 to go buy something they wanted, and, and that was very special. And often we make them save it and put it in a bank account, but in this case, we let them go to Walmart or Target and pick what they wanted. You know, when we came to Christmas this year, and that's got kind of a couple of Christmases, I've noticed that. You know, we have so much fun in the summer and they get so many, you know, the video game here or book here or some clothes here. <laughs> they don't have a lot of great needs at Christmas time. And sometimes right. Christmas, we don't buy them a lot of gifts because we try to explain to them, you know, you don't have a great number of needs mm-hmm. and you don't need to live your life just getting everything you want. Right. And they really adapted to that well. And so I think we're like that as well. We have to be very careful our own lives uh, as adults to, like you said, not be expecting that. But for, for me, I think this is kind of funny. They don't. I think Holly's just done a great job of teaching them that you need to, you know, be thankful for everything you have. And, you know, you don't really need that. But one of the ways we've always tried to train them is that when we go to churches, you know, you look up, you speak to people directly, you respond, you know, be talkative. And they've learned it so well that sometimes we've noticed that we go to classes and they'll try to dominate, you know, they'll answer all the questions and they'll answer. <laughs> we, we like, all right, listen, we're here to respond when people ask us questions. We don't stand up and give a speech and tell them what we're doing. You know, like they almost have learned like to be like their dad inside the Sunday school class and teachers to come out like, wow, they really, they know this and that. I'm like, oh, great. You know, they're in there, they're, they're giving a presentation. You know, it's like, I'm glad they're not shy, but you know, we almost have to roll them back sometimes. And so uh, I think you're constantly doing that kind of thing on the mission field. I mean, on the, uh, on the furlough deputation. So um, I think kids are resilient though, as Lonnie mentioned in his video. Uh, and you just, you just have to be loving and kind and direct them and they'll respond. Yeah, absolutely. Cultivating humility within your family and your ministry. It's really, again, we've talked about this before, you know, in ministry, uh, in whatever pursuit, Really, the number one characteristic that really leads to having a healthy family life, um, a healthy relationship as husband and wife, is it be, it's humility. Julie and I were even just talking about this the other day, about a lot of times I've talked with pastors, and one pastor said to me specifically, he said, man, you know, if you're going on the mission field, you have got to be careful who you marry because so many guys marry the wrong woman. And then, then she's the reason you come off the field. And I said, well, I, I I've seen that. Like, I don't know though, that it's always at the end of the day, the wife's fault if there's not some other reason. So there's different reasons why people come off the field, right? Why they have to leave. But a lot of times the wife does get blamed you know, if there's not a legitimate reason given, but for me and my interactions with missionaries and just from just basic evaluation and understanding the husband's role in the home, if the wife is manifesting issues that is causing her to want to leave and and it creates this breakdown and you end up having to leave the field somewhere before that breakdown began, the husband stopped being the leader 
and, and the husband that he was supposed to be. At the end of the day, it falls on the shoulders of the husband. And Julie and I were talking about that because uh, I forget what it was we were talking about, but I was just, I was re reassuring her that, you know, her mental health, her health, her physical health, her mental health, our children's mental health and physical health is priority. You know, I'm not going to endanger them to, to just do ministry here. Um, this is where God's called us. And as long as I'm walking with the Lord and I'm being the husband that I should be, then we will maintain good mental health and spiritual health and physical health. Um, but it's when that, that gets imbalanced when the husband begins and the pastor, you know, the husband begins to put ministry and begins to emphasize that a little more than family and prioritizing things in ministry more than family and starts running ahead of the family in different areas, that imbalance is going to create, you know, brokenness and it's going to create crises in the home. And when you're not, when you're not, flowing together as husband and wife, you know, spiritually and, and on the same page, then when crises do arise, then you won't know how to deal with those. If your wife or your kids aren't comfortable, we already shared, talked about this, but if they're not comfortable sharing what they're going through, uh, then it's going to make it that much more difficult to deal with it. And it, it you know, it could end up just blowing up. So it begins with humility, you know, teaching your kids to be humble, you yourself cultivating humility and in your relationship and how you do things. And so a big part of this, we're really just kind of chatting here as we're closing up this month, uh, the, the last four podcasts, um, we, we really were emphasizing family and ministry. Uh, we haven't recorded it yet, but I'm recording it tomorrow, but it's for, uh, so I guess it would be last Monday's podcast is an interview with Matt Jones. Uh, but while we record this podcast, we haven't done it yet, but I'm excited to hear that podcast because he he does a lot with uh, missionary kids and MK care and things like that. And so I think it's really important that uh, fathers, if you're a missionary on the field, you play a proactive role in the mental and spiritual health of your family in those areas. Now, before we move on to kind of go over this uh, article that we found, uh, is there anything you wanted to add? Just kind of chatting, just kind of throwing yeah, out. Yeah, one last little kind of bow on that. It's funny because this actually happened last night. Uh, Holly had a ladies' meeting um, at our church member, and the teenage girls are now included. So Ashley was going, and this church member also has two little boys who are friends with Zach and Tyler. So they invited them to go over and play video games. So that meant Lauren and I were going to be here at the house, and for weeks uh, she's been wanting Daddy to take her on a date. And so I had this opportunity to take out my little seven-year-old daughter at a nice little fancy restaurant in town while everybody else was out having fun at a different place. And boy, you know, I love her as much as I love any of my kids. And she's real special because she's the youngest. But man, I can't think of a more fun time that I had than that little date than any other thing I've done in ministry lately, which you know includes telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think it's not that they have to have priorities. But it felt really good uh, to just make sure that my kids knew that I wanted to spend time with them one on one. And you could just see her gleaming when she you know, got out of the car and we held hands and going in and out. And she just chatter rocks the whole time. And and it really was, you know, as much as much fulfilling as anything else we've done in the ministry, which has been some great highs lately. 
And I think that's not, by the way, it's not to, you know, shine. It's just to say, I'm so thankful that we have opportunities as fathers to invest in our kids. And, you know, when it's all said and done, it's true. We're going to look back and look at those who are converted and, and discipled. And we're very thankful. And that's why the Lord's called us. And so it is about balance because you can just like, take your kids to McDonald's on the beach all the time. And if you only do that, then you're really not doing what you're sent to do. Uh, but you also can get the other uh, counterbalance out of the way. And uh, I just, it's so it's, it's a fulfilling time when you're doing both correctly. Now I don't always do it both correctly. So I'm not saying that, but when, when you do have one of those weeks, it's a substantially wonderful feeling. Yes, certainly. And one of the things that make balancing ministry and family life unique on the mission field is the transitions that we're always going through as missionaries, whether it's transitioning back to the States, you know, whether it's um, transitioning on the field or a new ministry or this or that, they're not just transitions within your own culture, but we're dealing with transitions in a different culture with different languages. And so the art, we, I found this article, I sent it to you and we kind of looked over it and we thought, well, maybe we'll just kind of wrap up this discussion with family and ministry. Uh, just reading off the, these principles that are rooted in this article that I found, which was the articles called seven things I learned about transitioning. Um, and it's from a blog entitled rockyreentry.com. And so obviously this is more about returning to the States, transitioning back to the States as a missionary. But I thought these principles also apply to what we're talking about, because when you go through these transitions in ministry, as a missionary often does, and like you said, you try as hard as you can to maintain a semblance of a routine but sometimes you're in a mission field where there just isn't a routine, right? We work oh. in Africa where stages you know, of life. Exactly. There's different seasons would be a better way to describe mm-hmm. a routine. Exactly. You go through seasons of ministry and seasons of family life. And so learning to balance family and ministry during the transitions, because if you're not intentional in dealing with the balancing of family and ministry during the transitions, that's where the imbalance can create uh, really a lot of issues and problems. And when when things start rolling out of control, uh, it's hard to get those pieces put back together. And so as missionaries, we want to learn to uh, deal with those transitions and balance family life. So we're going to kind of go through these uh, principles and just kind of go back and forth discussing each point as we wrap up today. So the first one on principles for cultivating a healthy and happy, I guess you could say, family ministry and relationship. Number one, mission work and missionary family life is a life of constant and major transitions. Okay. So it's not just a transition here and there. You're, you're constantly living through different transitions uh, and they're major transitions can take a long time. Uh, I wrote this down. Do not dive directly back into what you are comfortable with. Okay. Now as the man, as the husband, we generally can dive into a new situation without thought. We just, okay, we're, we're in a new church and I'm 
you know, I'm here to preach. And so this is what I'm doing. And then you get put into another situation. All right. This is my job. This is what I'm going to put on that hat. Right. We all have different hats and roles that we play. And, you know, a man can often slide in and out of different roles really with no ease. And so I wrote down, don't dive directly back into what you're comfortable with, whether you just got back to the States or whether you're in back in your home country uh, or the country you're serving in. Don't get dive directly back in while your family is still making adjustments, right? Uh, let, let, let that time to adjust take its place. Cause you've got to think about all the changes that are happening when you go from, let's say a furlough back to your country. Uh, there's time change. Your school's changed. Mm -hmm. Your routine has changed. Your diet is changing. Your language changes. Your relationships and interactions with people is changing. Your environment and weather is changing. There are cultural changes. Like all of these changes are taking place in this transition of returning to your field. And they don't self-adjust overnight for everybody. Now, do you find who in your family most easily adjusts to either transition of going to or from the States. And when I say easily adjust, I mean by diving back into the role of responsibilities that, that they have. Uh, are, is it something you guys have really cultivated well, or what would you say? <laughs> That's very interesting. I, I think this is probably going to be more something you are going to be able to speak to more because you've probably had much more drastic transitions than we had. And that has probably been because Josh has really been intentional by us mm -hmm. to keep those those fur those furloughs shorter, the times away from family shorter. Um, same thing with school, but there are transitions on our end. It's not usually difficult in some ways. Probably more for Holly and I when we come off the mission field. Like I remember specifically a couple of times when we've had, let's just say maybe a year and a half, two years of very difficult ministry with you know, dealing with people's sin, trying to help them, seeing ups and downs of people's lives. The kids have no idea. So right. when we come home, I remember a couple of times being in worship services and just almost breaking down in tears mm -hmm. and just thinking, what's wrong with me? What, what am I doing? And really after a couple of times that happened and realizing in some sense, and I, I don't mean to say they're equal, but it's almost a little bit like a soldier coming off the battlefield. And you really if you do furlough correctly, you're really trying to let down your guard and refresh and recharge. And that for both of us, I know for my wife, and I'm sure it's like this for Julie, for the ladies, when they go into that Walmart for the first time or a supermarket, that's really nice for the first time. Like my wife, sometimes if we can't go into a supermarket for like an hour plus, she won't go into it like the first day or so. She's like, you go in and get the thing because I can't handle it. She literally will be brought to tears. And, and someone listening to this podcast who's never experienced that, uh, that may be kind of funny to you and, and interesting, but it really is because you learn to deal with not having things that when you come back to it, it's so readily available. So th those kinds of transitions tend to happen when we come to the, to the field because we're not gone so long from our the Dominican Republic uh, I think coming back is usually pretty easily uh, just getting back into the swing of things, especially for the kids. But I will say, and you probably know this better than me too, as a man, when we get back from furloughs, no matter how long we are, there's usually a lot of broken things. And most, most of our time in the beginning is getting yep. things just back to the way we had them before we left. And so, um, but I think you probably could speak more to the 
uh, the, the, the more drastic effects, because when you spend six months or a year, a year away, it is different. Yeah, certainly. And the point you just made is one that not a lot of people know. And so just giving a little inside information about missionary life, when you're ready to leave for furlough, your transition back to the States usually begins two months before you go back when you're doing an extended furlough. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, The longer your furlough, the earlier your transition begins. And if you're doing a full year furlough, we try to keep our furloughs uh, down to just six months, um, six to eight months. We we did a year furlough, and I just we didn't like it. It was just too long. And uh, but there's all kinds of different ways of doing it, and no mm-hmm. one way I think is better than the other. But whatever way you decide to do it, it's important to know and understand how these transitions affect you, your family, and how you can address it to maintain a healthy family life. But that's one of the things, yeah, as you're, if you're going back to the States for a year, you know, your last month on the mission field is, is like, it's most, you're in the States already, like three weeks before you fly back to the States, you're already in the States mentally. And so you're almost worthless to the people you're ministering to. Not really. And then when you come back, you're right. Like you return and you're, first month back on the field is mostly just consumed with fixing everything, you know, that broke down at the house, getting all your paperwork renewed, making sure everything's in order. And, and uh, it can just be, yeah, it it can be stressful time, but you know, it can also be a time of just, if, if there's a lot of work to be done around the house, you just pace yourself and it allows you to slowly Mm -hmm. retransition back in. But it's important for the men, especially if you're a guy, your missionary husband, uh, don't blow ahead of your family in those transitions. It's like, yes, kids are resilient. They're, they're quick to adjust, but, um, when it comes to responsibilities in life, uh, husbands, especially my advice, don't fly ahead of your wife, especially just pace those transitions together and make sure you're dealing with them. Uh, second thing that was written down kind of as a, uh, principle of having a healthy uh, transition was this, embrace the surprises in missionary life, Mm -hmm. enjoy the good and acknowledge the bad, right? I think that's really important, not not to just cover over the bad parts and the not so fun parts, but to embrace what's good, enjoy what's good about missionary life and acknowledge what what's not so fun, but do it in a way that that's honest, but that it's not condescending or looking down upon the people in the country with where you're ministering. So like sometimes our kids will get asked, you know, what, what's something you don't like about Senegal or something like that. And it's always other there's garbage everywhere, which there is, I that's one of the first things people notice when they come but they don't view that as a reflection negatively on people here. It's just the way it is. You don't have to like it. It doesn't mean you look down on people and you don't look poorly at the society, but it's like, yeah, it's not very nice. Like it's just, it's, it's reality. And we acknowledge the bad. We enjoy the good like you would anywhere in life. And so I wrote down, sometimes you forget, uh, when you're when you're in the states, you'll forget how great a local dish is, right? Uh, mm-hmm. When you get back from a furlough, I would say, as the father, you know, as a husband, leader in your home, 
if there's a dish that your family all enjoy, have that the first week and celebrate it. Like, oh, we're finally back and we get to have mafe. That's one of our family's favorite dish. It's meat and potatoes and carrots all mixed in a peanut butter, tomato sauce over rice. Oh, it's so good. You know, we celebrate that. It's a lot of fun. And so celebrate the fun stuff as soon as you get back. You know, maybe it's just a getaway that you can enjoy in your country. A lot of times uh, we have this summer, there's missionary friends of ours who live in the capital here. When they return, after about a month, when they return, we're going to do a vacation together. Uh, You can rent an entire house here on Airbnb for like, I don't know, 50 bucks a night. Like it's ridiculous how, how inexpensive it is. So we're going to go together as a family. Now there's a pool at the house, the one we're going to rent. And so, Mm -hmm. uh, and they're doing that within a month of getting back so that they can, as a family, learn to get back into what they appreciate. Because when there are a lot of negative things about the country you're working with, if you don't enjoy right away, when you first get back, especially if you were just with family and friends and you just went to your favorite restaurant or whatever in the States, and then you come back to your country and all you see is negative. uh, You have to bring out those enjoyable things right away. And like you said, you know, your kids see it's home and these are things I missed. What are some things that, you know, if you transition now, I know you said you do shorter transitions. Um, What are things your kids look forward to when they go back to the States? And then when you come back, is there something about Dominican Republic that you guys will like, do do you intentionally say, oh man, I'm so glad we're back and we get to do this, you know, in our country. How do you deal with that? Yeah, so I I couldn't agree more with all the things you're saying and a lot of them we practice ourselves. Uh, When we go back to the States, we really try to focus for the kids. I mean, it's kind of organic, the fun things that happen. They're not always planned out, but for them, in fact, last night, my little date I mentioned about my daughter, and one of the questions I was talking to her is like, when we're going back to the States, it's going to be only the second time we celebrate her birthday back home. I was okay. you know, what do you want to do? And, you know, the things she wanted more than anything. And she's been to Disneyland and Disney World, you know, and Lord bless us with some fun things. She wants to have a picnic with her little cousin who's closest to her in age. You know, I mean, that's just yeah. that's the mind of a kid that she gets yep. to hang out with her cousins and have a good time playing in the clubhouses. And so really, if you were to ask them and we went to ball games and museums and we've gone to museum parks. But if you were to give them truth serum and ask them, what do you like to do most uh, when you're back home? It's like have all of our cousins over and have mm-hmm. either a camp out or a you know, bonfire. And I think that's really healthy because there's interactions. In fact, their cousins we're crying last time when we were leaving. He's like, why do they have to stay so short? I want them to stay. And so, you know, that that as they get older, that becomes more of a reality, trying to deal with that. And, and like you mentioned, one of the things we do try to do, because a lot of times it's around the summertime, as soon as we get home within a couple of weeks and right before maybe we get started on school or within a week or two after starting school, we'll also go up to a beach town. And because Airbnb is so cheap, we can find basically what you're mentioning, like a house with its own private pool and Two hours to the north is one of my favorite places for fish tacos. And nice. there's a great place where you can eat at tons of restaurants on the beach at night. And it's very inexpensive, very fun, great vacation in the Caribbean because we already live there. <laughs> and it helps us a little bit transition before the school year. And their minds are not really focusing on what we just left behind in America and the cousins and the family and the grandparents. And they're thinking about, wow, one of our favorite things to do is our little family vacation in this place. And so it does help recalibrate and remind us, oh, yeah, we got a pretty nice 
two, and um, and we reflect. We watch. We look at a lot of pictures. One of the family nights. This is something my dad has taught them. My dad will hook up his phone to the big screen television. He'll just kind of scroll through the pictures they just took that week. And so when we come home, a lot of times we'll plug it into the TV and we'll go through and remind ourselves of the fun times. I think there's nothing wrong with reminding ourselves how blessed we were. And, um, you know, as the kids get older, you know, there are sometimes some sad times. I wish I wish. And we don't avoid that either. We want to say, hey, you know, those were good times. Uh, and we have good times here. And you know what, Lord willing, we're going to have some more good times. And I think just be able to communicate that with kids. They appreciate that and they're ready for the next step. And so, but it's interesting. You mentioned surprises. There are many surprises. And you know what, Josh, I, I don't I was going to ask you if you've experienced this. Our last two furloughs, we've got a number of surprises while home, even for a short time from different family members, not, not our direct, uh, me and Holly, but family members, situations that need to be dealt with. And I had to work on my good spirit. It's like on the mission field, if I get a surprise death, you know, so I got to go preach for their funeral or something that happens, I'm kind of used to it. But when we have this short time for furlough and there's a surprise that we got to deal with, that I'll just be honest, isn't a whole lot of fun. I'm kind of lifted up in the flesh to be selfish. Like, I don't want to be dealing with this. This is where I go report to churches. This is where I go do the fun things we want to do as family. Why do I got to deal with this thing? You guys can deal with this. And as a missionary, you have to realize surprises come sometimes when you're home on furlough as well. And the old missionary adage is be flexible and understand that the Lord is uh, going to have you, you know, be flexible while you're home on furlough as well. And your kids need to see that as well. And that's just part of having a balanced life and a balanced ministry. Yeah, absolutely. When those negative things come up, you know, you don't, you don't have to enjoy them. You know, contentment is not, it doesn't mean that we love everything that we experience, right? But it does mean that we acknowledge when those things are difficult and that we deal with them in a Christ-like way and that we cultivate humble attitude and spirit and learn to laugh about, you know, the frustrations and the difficulties and things like that and uh, celebrate the good. And yeah, definitely. And so uh, let's see, we got written down number three, transitions are not just physically burdensome but they are mentally and spiritually burdensome. And I think that's uh, the author of this blog wrote that down, that they had learned in transitions that uh, it can be a burden that uh, trying to deal with, like we mentioned before, you're transitioning, especially when you're going overseas or back to your country, you're dealing with all of these changes, culture and language, uh, location and weather and climate. And there's just so many things that you're dealing with Uh, that it can be a burden. And again, Christians, the minister especially, but Christians in general, we're not called to avoid burdens, uh, but we are called to bear burdens with grace and empowerment that Christ gives and provides. Um, When we face burdens in ministry and missions, then we have to learn to bear those burdens in the power of Christ, right? And There's so many scriptures that teach us that in our weakness, through our burdens, that's where we find the power of Christ. When I am weak, then I am strong. And I know, you know, I've encountered missionaries who I don't think it, I don't know if it's a sense of entitlement. I don't know what you would call it, but it's almost as if they develop this air of, you don't know what I've gone through. If you walked a mile in my shoes, then you would understand. And I never wanted to develop that type of 
attitude because God has not called anybody to walk in my shoes except for me, right? I don't expect you to, you know, if you would just, if you knew what I was going through, then you would understand. And that can be difficult for whether missionary husbands or missionary wives, you know, when you go through a difficulty and have you experienced this, maybe you're going through a difficulty on the field that nobody else in your family in the States, none of your friends in your home church, they can't comprehend. They literally cannot empathize because they've never experienced what you're going through and you feel alone and you almost develop resentment because it's like they're moving on with their life and they, I have nobody that I can go to, especially if you're isolated on a mission field. Have you experienced that? And what are some ways that you kind of deal with that? For me, I, I think it's important to talk through those issues as a husband and wife, when you feel alone, when you feel that nobody else understands what you're going through. And then we try to connect with missionaries who have gone through what we've gone, are going through. Uh, but I, I just wanted to say that before I give you a chance to respond. I try not to develop, if you're a missionary, this, this spirit of, well, you don't know what I'm going through. And so, you know, I'm better because, and, and I know you wouldn't say that out loud, but it's almost like, you know, if you just walked a mile in my shoes, you would understand. Nobody's called to walk in your shoes except for you. So learn to bear your burdens with the spirit of grace and with the power of Christ. And, um, but yeah, they can be unique to, to bear. And the husband especially needs to understand he can bear the burdens usually a little easier than the wife and children can. Uh, and so what, what are some ways that maybe you've dealt with things that, you know, nobody else could empathize with, but you do want to work through these burdens? That definitely happens. And uh, especially if you're a missionary, sometimes like we both are, where you went to cities basically by yourself, where you're the only, mm -hmm. um, not only, you know, going white Christians or, you know, the only people like yourself and um, you're by yourself and you're isolated. Now we've been blessed to have teammates over the years, but many times, many years, most of the years here, we have not had teammates and we've had our share of struggles and those be physical or spiritual that have come up. And it is, it is difficult sometimes having that connection. Now I have always tried to have close connections with good friends we're spiritual back home, whether they be pastors or old friends. Mm -hmm. uh, my wife has had uh, a number of friends over the years, but sometimes there are times in her life when they've not been connected as much. And that's been more of an issue for her sometimes to having a real close friend that's not me uh, to bear those burdens. And she has had them sometimes, sometimes not. And so there is an isolation that we sometimes feel, and I, I think it's not just on the mission field, honestly. I think it's probably for a lot of pastors who maybe listen to this who might be in little tiny towns all over America or in Canada. And I think, you know, we, we, we run to Christ first, we run to the scripture. Well, that's where our peace and our contentment and our joy comes from. But that doesn't, you know, change the fact that sometimes, like for instance, our little daughter was born premature and she was in the NICU for nine days. And that was probably the biggest lonely time I had, even though a lot of people reached out and they were praying mm -hmm. Um, people did what they could, which was, you know, as much as they could. But there was a great sense of aloneness there where we didn't have anybody we really 
knew had gone through that and we didn't know what to expect. And uh, there were even some things going on with other um, friends, you might say, that there were some misunderstandings and it was a very difficult time. And I remember just after that time had passed and the Lord had given us strength, how I had to really work on even bitterness issues. And I, th- I praise the Lord, he helped me get over those. And, and to this day, I don't have anything held. But, but there's such a sense of aloneness that you can very quickly build up walls. And you have to, I really believe, you have to be able to find people you trust and love who can best understand your position. It may not be identical, like you said, but it can be former missionaries or maybe are pastors back in the States or counselors. And I'm very blessed to have people that we could as those pressures built up, um, like it is in marriage, when pressures build up, you have to have the release valve. Because if you don't, it's usually going to explode somewhere that you didn't expect it. And uh, I think that's part of mission field life is, is understanding that pressures build up all the time. And whether it be having a balanced life with your family and going on vacations and doing fun things, or as real life troubles come and you go through them alone, you need to have counselors and friends to go through. They may be on your mission field. They may not. But you really need uh, you and your wife need to be able to release those valves so that uh, you can you can continue without explosions. That's true. And that kind of brings us to the final point, which is specifically geared toward my this would be my personal advice toward if you're a father, husband, pastor, missionary, uh, This, I think, applies to all of us, and that is listen. Just learn to listen. Listen to the cues of your family, you know, that they're giving. Listen to what your wife is saying, okay, with frustration she's going through. Uh, Listen to the complaints of your children while never justifying their complaint. Okay, complaining. We don't want whiners. We have a saying in our house, which is you always lose when you have a bad attitude. So if one of our kids are getting kind of a bad attitude, we, we quote that saying and I'll begin it. I'll say, now we always lose and they have to finish it when you have a bad attitude. And, uh, but at the same time, we, you want to cultivate openness and transparency so that your kids can kind of have a place to go to, especially if you're on the field and you're, you're alone and they don't have any other outlet uh, of other social structures to to release some of their frustrations and tensions, um, then you need to be able to allow them to come. And I'll say this to to men, especially some of you. The Bible says, you know, quit you like men. The Bible says in Corinthians, be like men, behave like men. Men need to be men. But sometimes men can take. I saw a study the other day that. I I don't know who did it. I saw it was an article the other day on Twitter. I saw, and it was a study they did that when men's manly man, when a man's manliness is attacked, they respond more aggressively than a woman's femininity is attacked. In other words, men are more (laughs) defensive in this study of their manhood. And I'll be honest with you. There's a lot of insecure pastors out there who try to act macho as a cover for their securities. And I'll say this to men, whether you're a missionary, a pastor, or just a father and husband, don't take your family's frustration. Missionary, if you're a missionary, please listen to this. Don't take your family's frustration on the mission field as a personal attack on your call. Okay. It's not. 
It is just like you as the husband and missionary, you go through frustrating times, you know, driving in traffic can be, (laughs) if you're used to being in control of everything and then you get out in traffic Mm -hmm. or you get out into your culture and it just seems like everything's chaos, you get frustrated. That's not an attack on your personal call and don't take your family's frustrations as a personal attack. I've seen missionary men do that. They take it personally. And when your family sees that you take it as a personal attack on your calling, then they'll just close off. They, they will not bring it up until again, Mm -hmm. it builds, it builds, it builds. And there's only so much that it can contain and it's just going to explode. And by then it's, the pieces are too broken to put back together. And um, a lot of times that's when we see people coming off the field. And so that's what I I would just kind of end our whole discussion about family and ministry balance with that. Learn to listen. The apostle James said, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. You need to quote that verse to yourself every day. Be quick to hear, be quick to listen. And, uh, Try to gauge your family. Know when you need to take a break. Know when you need to take a little a week off. Know when you can put more emphasis on different work. Just learn to gauge that. And uh, is there anything you want to add to that as we close out? Yeah, I think uh, I I was listening and it was very good, Josh. And, uh, <laughs> yes. But I, one thing I would add to that is part of that listening is also, like you mentioned before in these uh, previous weeks, is being approachable. Is just knowing your kids, knowing that they're the most important thing. Your wife is the most important thing. And the ministry is very important. It's the reason we're here, but uh, they are the most important things in my world. And so when they have a problem, they have a need, they know that if it's, you know, if it's all possible, they can come to dad and dad will listen to him and he'll do his best to resolve the situation. And it doesn't mean it's always going to get fixed, uh, but dad's going to listen to me. He's going to hear my problems. Um, my husband's going to listen to me. He's going to hear my problems. And, you know, I'm, <laughs> I think we're going to be having a, a session here in a few weeks of talking about, you know, husbands and wives and how I can give our uh, testimony. But, you know, husbands, we like to fix stuff. And a lot of times we can't fix it. Like Josh said, we just got to listen. And that's kind of like helps fix it for now. And so uh, I think men who've been married longer than us, Josh, are listening. They know this. We're just trying to tell the younger guys. That's right. And a lot of what we're sharing is what we've learned from those who have put it into practice and gone on before us. We've also learned a lot from uh, guys who uh, didn't do it right. right. (laughs) And that's sometimes, sometimes that's a good way to learn uh, from your mistakes. And so uh, that's really our prayer is that, uh, you know, we, we want missionaries to stay on the field. We want you, if you're a supporter of missionaries, if you're a pastor who supports missionaries, we want you to know how to better pray for your missionaries and understand that there are different struggles that are unique to missionary life. There are things that missionaries go through that maybe you can't empathize with, but the Lord knows. And you can pray that God will bless with strength and wisdom uh, and power to get through those situations because we want missionaries to stay on the field and we want this to be an encouragement yes. to you. So well, we appreciate 
everybody who's been taking time to listen to our podcast. And uh, we've been blessed with a lot of interaction from many of you. And we're looking forward to seeing this growing. Uh, I just put out, I posted the other day on Facebook, yes. we're doing a giveaway right now. And so we only have 25 subscribers on YouTube. YouTube is harder to build a subscriber base. We have way more on yeah. Facebook and a lot more who listen to Spotify and uh, Apple. But if you'll go over to YouTube, we need a hundred subscribers, okay, in order to create a custom URL, which means we can type in youtube.com slash missionary perspective, and that'll take you straight to our YouTube channel. Right now it's youtube.com slash and a bunch of letters and numbers. So once we get a hundred subscribers, we can have a custom URL. So we have a special giveaway. We're going to send you $25 gift card to the coffee shop of your choice one of the first 100 subscribers. And so once we hit 100, we're going to do a drawing and we'll probably do it right here on our podcast. We'll draw one of the wow, names and uh, you will win a, uh, whether it's Tim Hortons or Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks or whatever it is, you'll get a $25 gift card. So go on over, subscribe on YouTube and uh, hit that notification bell, share the video, share the podcast, get the word out, send it to a missionary that you think it will be an encouragement to share it to uh, Facebook groups and pages and just get the word out. Uh, we're not trying to promote ourselves. Uh, we haven't done anything where we're trying to get our, our name out there. We want to get encouragement out there. We want to uplift missionaries and encourage those who love missions and missionaries to know how to better pray. And uh, we're just excited about the future of uh, this podcast. So Eric, anything you want to add before we close out? I just want to say I'm rooting very hard tonight for my Dominican Republic in the, the Caribbean series final against Colombia. So go oh, boy. All right. It's the African cup over here. Senegal <laughs> just won the, the, the final is Sunday. Senegal won All the right. uh, demi-final. Nice. Uh, what do you call it in English? Anyways, so they're going to the finals for African Cups. We're excited about that. It's going to be a big deal. It's going to be a big party. And so. Uh, and, and, you know, Josh, it's funny because we didn't really talk about that. Those kinds of things for our boys, your boys, your kids. We went to, if you follow us on Facebook, we went to the victory celebration the other day. Okay. Our team won the uh, the baseball, and it's, we're downtown in the middle of literally thousands of people. It was probably not the greatest, wisest pairing decision I made, <laughs> but we had a lot of fun. And those things our kids will never forget, and that really helps them connect with the culture here. So that, that that's kind of a funny thing I'm saying, but you know, be a part of where you're at. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's great. Well, we appreciate your time and uh, we look forward to continuing with this podcast as we share about life and ministry from the missionary perspective. This is Josh Mead from Senegal, West Africa. And Eric and the VR. God bless. Have a great day.